Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. You're listening to the Detroit Is Different podcast on the Detroit Is Different podcast network. All right, we are back in full effect in the Detroit is Different podcast studios today. I got somebody that has been touching microphones and slaying the comedy game for a long time. He looks young, but he's been in the game for a minute. Jeff, how you feeling? Feeling great. Feeling great. Thanks for having me on here. Oh, man, definitely, definitely. And the Detroit is Different story generally always begins with family in Detroit. How did your family make its way to the Detroit area, man? Uh, where Where are your people from? Uh, whereabouts, uh, what's the backstory? Yeah, my, uh, my parents, uh, grew up in the Livonia slash Westland, more Westland, uh, Mm -hmm. area. And, uh, they actually both went to school with each other, lived down the street from each other. Ain't that something. And, uh, yeah, they were just like, you know, kind of acquaintances and friends throughout, um, as they were growing up. Okay, now did your dad always like your mom? And then it just, he finally was like, you know I'm not trying to be your friend. I, you know what? I, I want to ask him that blunt ass question just that mm-hmm. way, because because w- what I do know is that uh, one of my mom's best friends and one of my dad's best friends, they both went to prom with that person. So my dad actually went to prom with my mom, a, a good friend of my mom, of and uh, she went to prom with the good friend of my dad. And then mm-hmm. now they essentially <laughs> they essentially swapped swapped. And now those two are married to each other right mm. now. Yeah, so okay. <laughs> they they went they went, uh, but um, yeah they they they've always uh, known each other since they were growing up, and uh, and then it, I think when I was a week old they moved to Southfield, uh, mm-hmm. right at uh, right down. We grew up in a street called Westland, which is a few streets uh, on the Southfield side of uh, Eight Mile and Evergreen. Okay. And uh, so I, I grew up in like the Detroit side of Southfield, not the not the Jewish side. Okay. And uh, <laughs> now, for, just for the sake of the geography of it. Okay. Now, when you talk about uh, that area, what about your grandparents? Uh, are they from the Michigan Detroit area, or are they from, you know, further west, further east? Uh, whereabouts? My um, yeah, my they they both originally on both sets of my family, uh, my mom and my dad's side grew up in Michigan. Okay. And uh, now on my dad's side, they moved uh, to Florida. Um, okay. But my uh, on my mom's side, they still they still live in Westland. Okay. So this whole concept of like staying in Metro Detroit, that whole area, the suburbs of Detroit, mm-hmm. has been a tradition thing for as long as you remember. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. There, there's only been there is a year and a half that I helped my brother out with some business. Uh, when I was figuring out what I wanted to to, to do in college, mm-hmm. and I realized I was wasting my money. There was a like mm-hmm. a, a year to a year and a half of my life that I lived in a city called Gastonia in North Carolina. Okay, it's a uh, it's like a half an hour away from Charlotte. Okay, and uh, but but even then, I still came. But there were times that you know I was so indecisive of what I wanted to do with my life that when we would go back and visit home, we would stay for like three months before mm. we went back to North Carolina. So mm. that would, uh, I'd say that was really the only time that I, uh, for an extended period of time that I um, kind of left this area for now. Okay, how old were you when you were in Gastonia? Uh, I was around 21. Okay, what was that like? Uh, that was interesting. That, I, I, I didn't hate it. Mm. <laughs> I, uh, that, you know, it, it, it's different how 
depending on who's in office, the different vibe that you get of of just the people that you live around. Because mm-hmm. I, I can't, you know, I can't imagine living in a in a in a Republican area uh, in this in this day and age. I feel like that would the, the entire vibe would be different living in that same city today. Where mm-hmm. if everybody's happy. Obama's president, whatever. If it, like it, it would, <laughs> there, there was just a happier vibe. Even mm. when when George Bush was in office, it wasn't as uh, gloomy <laughs> or decisive between your neighbors. So mm-hmm. I just I just I got along with all my neighbors. Um, uh, I realized you know I didn't really want to do sales. It, it you know I, I pretty much went there to help my brother doing door to door sales, a business mm. that you know he's had for a long time. Okay, and uh, and help him. Uh, he coincidentally moved there to start the business during the same time that it was our spring break uh, when I went to Eastern Michigan. And then during that week, I realized I would rather wa- uh, make money than waste money just going to college because I was only going to college just because I felt like that was the thing you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That was just fed to me as like, that's what adults do. They mm-hmm. they, they go to college and then they, they meet a person, they get married, they buy a house and they have a kid and all in that order or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, and I realized that just wasn't the life that, that I wanted. It just never felt right. Um, okay. Everything that I went to college for, whenever I would change my major, I, it was essentially just changing my major to pick something that I thought I, that I could do, not necessarily something that I wanted to do. And you can never compete in a field of passionate people. Like, I, like when I was like, I could be a lawyer. And I, yeah, I'm sure I could. But there's some people that love law. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm just like, eh, it, it's interesting. Okay. You know, so I realized I was wasting my time, uh, my energy, and uh, and then eventually, you know, throughout the the end of it, um, uh, throughout the end of it, I, I discovered comedy, and then I kind of just went in that direction ever since. Okay, door to door sales. I've done it before. You learn uh-huh. a lot with door to door sales. You do because you learn a lot about interacting with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn a lot about human behavior. I would go as far as to say that some of the techniques you've learned definitely in door-to-door sales help you with audiences probably yeah. people uh what stood out a whole lot with door-to-door sales in the number one thing in dealing with rejection how did you learn to do that well I, I think a lot of times people forget that you know comedians can still be very sensitive <laughs> mm-hmm. so so it was different. It's easier for me to deal with rejection in comedy than it was in door-to-door sales because mm. for this, this is something that I that I know that I want to do. And at the time, that was something that when I did door-to-door sales, that was just something that I was I knew that that was what I was currently doing. I kind of knew that it was temporary, and it it did bother me a lot more when I good when I dealt with rejection. But my brother could not be less concerned with rejection. Mm-hmm. He could. Re- he can knock on someone's door that could ruin their day just by him knocking on their door for two seconds and he'll walk, he'll just go to the next house. Like it is, it's never, so I knew, but, but it did teach me a lot. It taught me that it's still up to you how you decide to handle the emotional aspect of rejection. You can't determine whether or not you're going to be rejected, but you can determine how it's going to affect you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's just so many things that I learned from door-to-door sales when I look back on it, like uh, how important like just sales is. A lot of people, when you hear arguments about social issues, so many people think that being right is enough. They're like, but I'm right. And I'm like, and, and I've just learned from door-to-door sales, being right doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> being right is the first step, but you still have to convince people that you're right. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I see that all the time of people that just think they're on the right side of history or they're right in an argument. And I'm like, yes, but until you convince the person that you're right, then, then nothing that you're saying matters. You're just yelling out loud just for the sake of talking out loud. Mm-hmm. Because I can knock on someone's door and, and show them that I could save them $100 a month. And if they're still not convinced, it, it doesn't matter that I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. but I know that I'll save you money. You should sign up. And then I still don't get the sale because it wasn't presented in the, in the right way. So I'm, I've learned a lot of things uh, in comedy of that uh, related to that uh, of door-to-door sales just because you can have an idea that's funny in your head, but if you don't present it the right way, then it doesn't mean the joke's not funny. You just have to, you have to reword it. You have to uh, put a lot more effort into your presentation. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about effort into your presentation, and you you spoke on being right on like social justice, mm-hmm. social justice is big into your artistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's big into your life. You care a lot about social issues. Mm-hmm. What led you into having such a strong concern about social justice and um, being having awareness of this? Because being white, being a guy, you looked at as <laughs> almost the oh yeah yeah the I'm the most, enemy. Yes, the most hated <laughs> class yeah. of human beings in America. Yeah, I, I think it, what I realized, you know, I, and I've never really, I don't think I've been asked that question that exact way before. That's a good question. And now that I think of it now, I think it's that when I grew up, I was like the, I was like one of the token white guys of my core group of friends. Mm-hmm. And I think that it was, if you grow up in a diverse environment, and you realize that what the media is painting of a group of people is inaccurate, mm-hmm. then it's not just like reading a book that you feel bad about. Like it, to me, it affected me because I'm like, no, the, these are things that affect people that that I know and that I love. You know, yeah. this isn't this isn't just something that is a story where it's it's easy to pass off something when it doesn't affect you if you don't see it. You know what I mean? It's easy for us to eat meat. We're like. I don't see the cow getting murdered. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. You know, but but when when you live next door to people whose lives are affected based on laws and uh, the the way that you know uh, the system can can treat people, uh, then it, it was just always something that uh, I I don't know. It was just always something. I think my parents just always were good on feeding my curiosity. My parents never. Uh, displayed their frustration at me asking a stupid question. And hmm. so I think that that kind of tied into it a lot, where I never had a moment where my parents didn't support anything that I wanted to do. At one point, I wanted to do... I, want, I, I did yo-yos. I would go to hmm. malls and stuff, and I would do yo-yo tricks. And my mom, hmm. my dad in their head, they had to probably think I was insane. This mm-hmm. is stupid. You're not going to be a professional yo-yoer. But they were like, whatever. You have fun doing it. Let's do it. So mm-hmm. it... Uh, there's so many things in my life that my, my parents have went full support of. And I think that kind of ties into um, when, you, when you do grow up in a supportive environment, then it, it's, it's easy for me to, to see the big picture of things. Hmm. All right. So the big picture of things in comedy, mm-hmm. what led you to the stage for comedy in the first place? And were you, when you were growing up, were you an extroverted kid were you always telling jokes? Were you the class clown? As you know, Josh Adams has a show on this network, and Josh has always been yeah. uh, definitely. He, Josh uh, is the most told, on stage, the same way yes. he's off stage person I've ever yes. known. Yes, yeah. yes, very, yeah. very much, very witty, very on time. You know, Josh has his own 
insecurities and vulnerabilities, but it's all like together yeah. in the act and quirkiness of of talent. He's combustible like that. Were you mm-hmm. like that growing up, or was no. it one of those things that grew I up? I failed speech class in high school my freshman wow. year, and then wow. my senior year, uh. I, I didn't sign up for, for speech class, but I was given speech class. And the same speech teacher, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, shout out to Miss uh, Sandra Bailey, mm-hmm. um, uh, <laughs> or Shackelford, actually, excuse me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, people get married, life moves on. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. But, Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but I, uh, she literally, she knew what was best for me because she knew that speech class can only help you in life. Even if you don't want to be a performer, not being nervous when you talk to people can only help you for job interviews. It, it can't do any bad to be good at giving speeches. Well, and, well, and let's she, stop, let's she stop worked right on that. Let's stop right there. She, she refused to let me change my class, even though uh-huh. I already I already took another class before that counted for that same elective. I could mm-hmm. have just picked a different class. And she was like, no, if you pick another mm-hmm. class, I'm going to go to the counselor and I'm going to tell them to switch back. Because this is something that you need. Because you can do this. You're not somebody that's as shy as you're you're letting out, and uh, you can make it happen. Let's let's stop right there for yeah. a second, just on the strength of. And my bad, I was talking over. Nah, that's for fine. a second. Um, speech. It's a lot of people afraid of yeah. public speaking. Like yeah. all ages. They, mm-hmm. they, it's actually said that public speaking is the number one fear of people. Like mm-hmm. more than death. you know, vicious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah death. Uh, a vicious dog being in the room. Man with gun public speaking and i guess for me because maybe the way i was raised and everything like I, I, it's hard for me even to really get in that bag what what are some of those fears of public speaking and now you're in front of audiences yeah and it's even tougher as a comedian because mm-hmm. generally as a performer or on the stage like it's a rhythm i'm very confident when i get on stage in the beginning the nervousness sets in when the crowd starts responding differently than I expect them to. Yeah. And I figure it's no other performer that deals with that more than a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that what it is, is people are scared. People think that other people care more than they do. Yeah. That, like, yeah. because even if you do bad doing comedy and you bomb, they're going to go home and they're going to. Yeah. They're going to put a DiGiorno in the oven and watch Netflix and go on with yeah. the rest of the day. They yeah. could not be more concerned. But for us, it, it, I think for some reason when we do poorly in front of other people, it sticks with us for so long because we wish we would have did better. But that doesn't mean But, but we we're, we shouldn't beat ourselves up. That, that's fine to want to do better. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that it's uh, it, it's it, it's normal. But but at the same time, we shouldn't act that way. We shouldn't continue to think that. Uh, that it's the biggest thing in the world. And so I, I didn't know what it was. When I, uh, like, failed speech class, I just wouldn't even... It, if she forced me to do a speech, the ones that I did do, I did well on, mm-hmm. but it took so much energy for me to, to do it. I got so nervous beforehand that I would just not do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just didn't do enough speeches to pass the class wow. so but it wasn't that the other ones i did i didn't do bad but i think there was a seed that was planted because once again speech class came up again in college when i went to eastern and uh the the first speech that we we had to do was a demonstration speech and then i picked demonstrating how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and i made it funny and other people 
were doing a speech about tying a tie in 50 different ways. And I was like, that's way too much work. I don't want to have to, to learn something to give a speech. I just want to learn the speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, when people laughed, I realized, wow, this, I'm not nervous now. I know that the audience doesn't hate me. So mm. therefore, it's easier for me to give my speech. And uh, I think that's not that, you know, I think it was wasn't exactly when I started comedy. It might have been like a few years later after that that I actually started uh, to, to, to get into it or to think about it. But um, it definitely, I think, planted a seed later on in life that if you, there are ways to make it more comfortable for you. And still to this day, I still get nervous in things that I don't think people would ever imagine a comedian would be nervous because I think naturally I'm an introvert. So naturally... I'll be funny to the person next to me, but I don't care if the person across the room thinks I'm funny. Mm. That's who I am naturally. So there's moments where it's like um, my sister owns a daycare Mm -hmm. and she could be like, hey, can you thanks for visiting, Jeff? Hey, why don't you read a story to these kids? And I'm sitting there. I'm nervous reading a story to kids. And I'm like, I've been on I've I've been on TV. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm like, I've I've been in environments with where there's a a thousands of people in the audience or at home that were watching Mm -hmm. this. And I was less nervous because I knew how it would go. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I've done this before. This joke gets this reaction. I understand that this is a big moment, but it doesn't it doesn't change that. I know what's going to happen. I know I'll do well in this environment where reading a book. I'm like, what if I don't do the what if I don't do the character? Right. What if she's used to her mom? doing the king's voice in this way and i'm I'm, Mm -hmm. oh crap these kids don't even care i don't know those are the weird funny things insecurities that are actually in some of our our heads that i think some people wouldn't realize that on the on the outside just looking at comedians now on the flip side i do think the toughest crowds are those crowds are like the young young kids oh yeah (laughs) because they have their attention spans are so short and they have little yeah it's like they're giving you a little bit of stage time yeah They'll, they'll they'll hand me a book tell me to read the book and then a page later he'll just walk and go to another room and i'm mm-hmm. like i don't think i don't think i did a good job yeah i don't it's think like, I, it's like young I, I think david i, I think i just bombed yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> young david uh rapunzel didn't even get to <laughs> yeah we didn't even get to the, yes, the meat exactly. of the story exactly so uh <laughs> that's also one of those things that i found opposite just in performing myself in music yeah that especially with those young kids this is so true the more over the top you are and exaggerated, it uh-huh. actually, it doesn't, it like, internally it seems like you're over the top. Yeah. But externally, people are into it more. Yeah. And the more, like, cool you try to be, the more people start looking at you and, like, sense the nervousness. Yeah. Like it's, a dog smelling fear or something. Yeah. And it kind of makes people respond. That that That's absolutely true, I, I, I would say, because one thing i haven't done too much acting so i'm not talking like i'm a pro here but i I, there was a play that i did and uh in the play uh the uh the the woman that i worked with the most she was pretty much telling me like okay so you're not naturally an actor jeff so you don't have to worry about overdoing this like there's some people that are naturally outgoing so if they try to bring more energy it might be too much energy. It might be overacting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm not a Jim Carrey character. You know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. not the, the person, the rubber face personality. So for me, if I give more energy, it just looks like I'm a little bit more excited. Like I'm not, you know, but in your head, you're like, well, I don't want to overdo it. And it's like, no, you're not going to overdo it. Yes. And that's another thing that I've learned. Uh, I've done a little bit of improv is that uh, I have to remember how reserved i am naturally 
mm-hmm. because when I'm playing a character, when I'm doing an emotion, when I when I have to tell the audience something uh, with some energy, it has to I have to do effort. I have to to make effort doing that. I can't just think that I can't play it cool and think that the audience is going to like it because you're right. If you play it cool, the audience will just it, sometimes that comes off as more uh, nervous because mm-hmm. there's no inflection in your voice. Mm-hmm. You're just too cool to talk. You know, your voice yeah. can start shaking. And uh, yeah, I'm, that's a I'm, good point. I'm recording a spoken word album with an artist right now. And we went and this is the first time he's recording. And mm. I was telling him the difference in even selling things because, you know, uh, rapping most of my life. And I learned these skills over time. But some things I may not necessarily be the best master teacher and mm. I can just present to a person, but it's a way to present words. Rap and comedy are the same in this, in the sense of yeah. you're presenting words and the irony spoken word is like this too. rap spoken word and comedy. The irony of presenting a statement as if it's a question and sometimes mm. a statement as if it's a question, uh, uh, you know, like vice versa, mm. you know, if, if, you know, as opposed to like, that's it, you know, yeah. so as opposed to that's it. Yeah. So like, that's it can, can make the, the line so much more yeah. than what it was before. Even though you're saying the same thing, yeah. just do the tone and inflection and the interpretation mm-hmm. of like, that's it yeah. is more of a question than just that's it. Yeah, del- delivery is really important, and you know I know a lot of people say that that comedy or things of this nature aren't that you can't teach it, um, which I don't I don't necessarily know if that's true as much as it's really hard to teach it because those <laughs> little if you have to explain to somebody each individual line yeah. to oh make sure that you at you put inflection here and make sure yeah. if if you have to teach somebody how to talk that's just exhausting that's you know what I mean like so yeah. that's why. It is one of those things where uh, it it's not it's not as simple as you got it or you don't. I'm sure people can improve, but mm-hmm. the basics of it are something that you, hopefully you, it's it's easier to succeed if there's something there that you just know to start with. So mm-hmm. everything you're learning is is extra. You yeah. know, like I was learning how to be confident on stage, but but I but I knew but I knew basics of comedy. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I've watched comedy. You know, so it it, it does amaze me sometimes how much further along some people are than I was when I started. And then it amazes me some other times not to be too negative or, you know, talk trash about people, but some other people like how far behind they are, um, where, uh, where they're like, Oh, you, you never thought about a callback. Where how, how did you have to learn that? You know what I mean? Like certain things. Whereas do you think it's more so the effort being put in and the, the, or lack of effort being put in? Cause some people sit in, a space of all forms of creativity where they define themselves by artistry and like, yo, this art is my life and this is what I love. But in reality, I think it's like more so it's like a, a docking station. Of, yeah. I don't know what the hell I'm doing in life, but it's Absolutely. easy to say that I'm a spoken word artist, a visual artist, a rapper, and then you, you a automatically a singer, you know. Yes. And if you are a part of any of those groups that you just mentioned, then you're automatically, you at least have some acquaintances to start with. And yeah. I think so many people just want to do something for the buddy buddy mm-hmm. aspect of it uh, as like almost like a fraternity mm-hmm. uh, or sorority type of environment instead of actually the craft itself they like. Because there's a lot of people that, that me and Josh have both met throughout the years where they'll ask us advice on like a joke. And mm-hmm. then we'll be like, oh, well, what if you did this? And then they'll just never do that. 
mm-hmm. and then we're like, well, that's fine if you didn't take our advice, but you're continually doing it the the same way that hasn't worked. So why, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, I think some people just don't want to put the effort in or they're not, I think self-awareness is really important. Yeah. I think you need to be very self-aware at knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at so you know what you can improve at. If you think you're the best at everything, then you're never going to get better. Well, the tough thing, I think, even with comedy in reference to that is, woo, who you are matters so much, too. Like, the look. Things oh, yeah. that you don't have control. Variables you yeah, don't control. <laughs> and also, just in the guilty pleasure, I like seeing rappers bomb and comedians <laughs> bomb. Like, rappers and comedians bombing is like a, it's di- like an art form to oh, me that, man. like, I appreciate. It's bad, though. It's like... It, you know how certain times people like look at a car crash. It's even more dramatic than that for me. Like, I feel like when you look at rappers, a comedian though. bomb, yeah, and it, and then they're up there like, woo! Like Dion Cole used to have the uh, the line where it's like when comedians keep saying it's crazy yeah. out here. Oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> so like a so like a comedian gets oh, up yeah. there, yeah, and then especially oof, dealing with black rooms because a yeah. heckling is coming, coming, coming. Yeah, you know, a uh, 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 shut the hell up, like get off the stage. You know, you know that's coming, and then you're like, whoa, like how's he gonna get waiting. out of this? The funny thing to me uh, is that uh, black people are severely less likely to commit suicide based on the actual population of statistics and everything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. but they're way more likely to tell somebody to kill themselves. Mm. Like, <laughs> like, like, just as a uh, saying. Like, there's been so many times where I've seen a show uh, where somebody's like, "You need to kill yourself," and it's just uh, like, "Cause he's not uh, funny." Because uh, he's not doing well today, he should die. Yes, um, that's, yes. That's, that's and, a big jump and then, there. And then, <laughs> and then this is just like seeing a rapper bomb or a comedian bomb. Part of it is also seeing their response when they get off stage and then come back to to you in the social circle. Yeah. You know, and they be like, you know what I'm saying? You know how I be out here hating on me and everything. You know, da, 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 da. and oh, it's yeah. like, the, you took the L. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That, that's why uh, I love there's a, there's a comic that I started with named uh, Jeremiah Pauling, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and and he's great. I, I love Jeremiah. I don't got anything bad to say about him. However, in this specific story, I want to say he did bomb, mm-hmm. but he bombed better than anybody to this Hilarious. day that I've ever seen bomb. Because uh-huh. when he got off stage, he immediately went up to me and was like, <laughs> they didn't like that shit. Hilarious! Oh man, like he was just he and he. I saw the expression on his face. He was like, "All right, whatever. Let's get a drink." You know, like he he hey. could not be more. Con- he could not be any less concerned with like. Of course, he you know everybody wants to get better, wants to do better, but he wasn't blaming the audience. He wasn't you know mm-hmm. he wasn't you know and maybe there could I don't even remember how it went. The audience mm-hmm. could have easily have had some blame. They yeah. could have been rude to him to start with. Maybe they didn't like how he was dressed. I don't know. I don't even remember the incident as much as just afterwards him just like, well, they didn't like that shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, damn, not a, not everybody's built that way. A lot of yeah. people have to immediately start pointing fingers. And even if that's true, it's just not productive. That's no. why when people say it's never the audience's fault, of course there's times when it's the audience's fault. But what did you learn from just blaming yeah. the audience? You didn't learn anything. So it's kind of like one of those things where we have to lie to ourselves if we want to get better. Where it's like if mm-hmm. you really want to get better, you have to kind of pretend that it's never the audience's fault because mm-hmm. then what are you going to learn? Yeah. Why did you go up? You should at least learn something from when you – oh, yeah, but that's mm-hmm. what I was going to say earlier. When you're talking about oh, bombing – I feel way worse for rappers though, because uh, there's uh, an there's still a, an instrumental. Yeah, the music they can't, is they playing. Can't, they can't go off of the plan. 
Like we're we uh, can we have an idea where we can at least mm. adjust. We can at least be like, well, that one guy likes me. Everybody else hates me, but if he likes me, I might at least leave with one fan. You know what I mean? You can try to make fun of people. Like, there's there's mm. things that you can do to try to improve your situation. Where if you're bombing as a rapper, then it's like, they're just not listening to you. Yeah. And you're performing for no reason. You yeah. have a group of people that are all in this room, and none of them care that you're on stage. Yeah. But you still got three more songs to do after oh. this. You can't. You can't just be like end the set early. No. You know what I mean? You can't. It's 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 tough. I, f I feel worse I, for for them for their performance. And, and I've seen it all, especially rap shows. Like I really want to do a, a parody movie um, on just hip-hop open mics because like it's kind of like spoken word a little bit where like the rapper that gets on stage it's like they give all their disclaimers yeah. already yeah for why you want it, it's kind of when i tell men why they often get rejected by women it's like you start giving outs for her not to approach you like <laughs> so like rappers get on stage and they start saying like yo yo y'all probably not gonna like this one you know what i'm saying but this is <laughs> but this is this is for my heart you know what i'm saying i was feeling this or I just That's dropped so it, so I don't really know all of this right now. You know what I'm saying? And, or yeah, it's like they get a yeah. context of like, this is one of my old old songs, but this is what I was feeling today. Hey, yo, drop that. Not not try not that one. The the next one. The 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 next one. The, no no. All right, for sure. All right, y'all ready? Y'all ready? Y'all from the east side? And it's, it's like, so hey, good. Man. <laughs> and it, it's like the crowd. Every you them out moment, of it. Just yes. Like, that's just like sales. That goes back to sales yeah. again. They'd be like knocking on somebody's door and being like, all right, now I'm sure you already got a better deal with WoW. Yeah. But let me tell you what I got for Comcast. And then you're just giving him an out yeah. to be like, yeah, you're right. I got a better deal. All right, yeah. I got to go. And the same thing. You're just like, all right, I'm, well, you yeah. don't have confidence in it. Why Why should why I have should confidence I? in it? Yeah, just like so many the, guys the, approach women with the whole, you probably don't talk to guys that, you know, like me. Yeah, I'm probably not your type. I know what and you're saying. Like, well, I know what I you're never, thinking. I never thought that you were or not, but not that you presented information yeah. about not being my type. I yeah, guess you yeah, were. Yeah, I guess you're right. My type is somebody that wouldn't approach me like that. That's it. <laughs> and there's some guys out here that are like broke without, you know what I'm saying, a pot to piss in and a window to throw it out of, but they like stick wallpaper everywhere yeah. and approach every woman. And you're like, how did this broke how ass it, guy how does, he's, always he's broke. win? He's not, he's not fortunate looking. No. That's he's, I'm trying not to say ugly. I'm trying know, to say yeah, fortunate yeah, looking yeah. now. He's uneasy <laughs> on the eyes. He's broke. He doesn't have a place to stay. And you always see him with yeah. women. Yeah. Attractive got yeah. stuff going and on with it. But it's aren't like even lying. probability and statistics. It's yeah. like sales. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probability and statistics. There's a math problem. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it's just confidence. It's sometimes. like I gotta approach twenty five women. And and it gets to a certain point where um and Josh said this with, with stages and and I definitely haven't been performing and I don't think my chops in performance are like this, but sometimes it gets like this. It's scary. Where he was mm -hmm. like, man, sometimes it's like I'm levitating when I'm up there. <laughs> but as a performer, when the crowd is with you, yeah, like I think it's two types of performers. And, and the best examples I give are always the Parliament Funkadelics, where I feel like mm. that's always the feel I wanted. Like where it's experiential, where me and the crowd are essentially the same, which mm -hmm. I don't know if comedy can be like that. And then it's people like James Brown that are a spectacle. Mm -hmm. But either way, it's sometimes where it's the energy of a show where the crowd is in tune with the performance and it's just experiential. Yeah. Josh does do that because Josh, the more that you can uh, make it feel like we're all a part of this yeah. is in shows that, uh, you know, it, it's harder. It would be harder to do like in a theater, mm -hmm. but uh, in a comedy club, 
uh, or or a smaller bar or mm-hmm. whatever setting, if you're if you're talking to different people in the audience and you're not insulting them, mm-hmm. but you're just talking to them, or if you're insulting them in a way, because I know some people will roast Josh, the crowd, Josh or even if you do roast them, if you roast the, them in yeah, a way that yeah. uh, Josh could. It's just on the way that you phrase things. I've seen Josh make fun of people in a way that made them feel better. Because yeah. instead of insulting somebody's weird <laughs> pants, he, if somebody had on some bright purple weird pants or something like that, you could just make fun of them for having purple pants. But he would give them a compliment and say the exact same insults and be like, you know how sweet you are? Because you got the confidence to come in here looking like blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I, I, w- I would never be able to wear blah, 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 man, but you pulling it off. W- whatever his, obviously it would be a lot funnier, but Josh. it's like... That's that's his style is 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 bringing up the things that other people would roast somebody about, mm-hmm. but in a way to where that person isn't insulted. And if you do that all around the room, a little bit between jokes here and there, then the entire audience feels like, okay, this is a family. We're a part of this with mm-hmm. him. This is a show that I'm a part of. Even if I don't talk, I'm a part of this experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he did, uh, and I'm still laughing about that. Like, it was a guy, and he kind of just had the hair like uh, like Donald Glover. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh, man, it's like a fat childish Gambito. And he was like, this is an apple pie. And it was just like, man, he was like, no, nah, no, nah, you cool, fam. Yeah. It just was like, yeah. it was so funny and just the timing. Yeah, and it like wasn't personal it. enough no, that no. anybody would, you know, he's not mm-hmm. he's not cutting too deep. It's just very creative, Yeah, uh, uh, but, but without being, you know, too personal. Now, as we talk about that in your style of comedy... You actually set up a lot of jokes under a premise, and you have a, a I don't want to say message, but it's a context to a lot uh-huh. of your comedy. Yeah. How did you even get into this style? Because it's more cerebral, more thought out. Your your jokes are, it, it's not like one, two, three, pop, one, two, three, pop. It's, it's yeah. building. I, I think what it was was I've, if you, the, there's the, the easy way, the easy way to doing something is is very often not the best way of doing it, and mm-hmm. it's easier for it would be easier for me to pick topics that aren't gonna make anybody upset. Uh, just this is the joke, get a laugh. That might be easier for me. But if my I've 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 always felt like I had the potential to take it to another level, and in order to do that, I feel like I might have to talk about things that won't be comfortable for everybody because mm-hmm. there's only so many uh, Jim Gaffigan, Brian Regans, uh, and that's just not the style I have. And I love their comedy. They're fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're amazing. But I just I don't have the ability to find as much things funny about the everyday uh, you know, things about life. I do have some aspects of that. I do have some observational material, but uh, a, a, a lot of what I want to make funny is the stuff that would require a lot of trial and error and uh, be a little bit different of a setup where it's if you're not down with part of it, you might not like this whole set then, you know, but uh, I've wanted to be more like that because I feel like I didn't start that way. And I've always admired comics who were exactly who they were from day one, where for me from the very beginning, I was more like, well, what's funny? All right, I'm going to say funny stuff. That's as far as I thought. I didn't use that weird accent that I just made mm-hmm. up. I don't, I don't know why I talked like I was from Jersey. I don't yeah, know. No, exactly. But 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 uh-huh. I uh but I was just I I like if if I I made up a joke of the pretending in in order to make this joke, I had to pretend that I smoke cigarettes. And mm-hmm. I said that I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't. I've got nothing uh-huh. against people to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that was how the joke. So then then I was like, "Well, wait a second. I'm not I don't want to 
to be lying off of little tiny things to mm-hmm. just for the sake of doing it. You know, I want to be more honest with myself. It's easier for me to have continuity in my set without having to make sure, oh, well, if I lied about this, does that contradict this thing later on? And uh, so I, I just wanted to have a more honest style of comedy mm-hmm. that was more unique uh, because it was more honest. Because I, I felt that I just felt like that I am a unique person. So by not being myself, I'm not being the best comedian that I can be. Now, as you venture more into telling things that are closer to your heart, mm-hmm. does it impact you more if the audience response is non like not even following it or non concerning? Because you're talking about some heavy shit. Yeah, and and I, and I learned from those moments where sometimes it's on the presentation. Sometimes some people like to be spoon-fed or they like to be tricked into, uh, you know, like I have a joke that talks about white privilege, but the beginning of the joke talks about Scooby-Doo, you know? So so I, I found some elements of, of tricks uh, that I've learned of it doesn't always have to be presented as this is the big topic. Um and uh, t- to make things like that a little bit easier because you can lose the audience. And when you lose the audience, it's hard mm-hmm. when it's a longer bit. It's like, well, do I just abandon this joke now? Because I feel mm-hmm. like you white people are really uncomfortable about this. Yeah. Or you whatever people that are making up the audience. Because sometimes yeah. it, there's a racial reason if I lose the audience um, that that may be attached to why I lost them on that. Yeah, I can I can imagine. And you've been traveling more and more and more as of recently. Like, uh, I can remember maybe about two and a half years ago, we did that one show. Should put more, more effort into that show. But <laughs> since then, you've never, I mean, you're, you're, you've been constantly traveling with comedy mm-hmm. and taking those chances. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's led you to uh, your Comedy Central special, mm-hmm. uh, working with Kevin Hart. Mm-hmm. Um, share a little bit about that story and what that journey was like. Uh, it was great. You know, I, I did a show called Kevin Hart Presents uh, Heart of the City. Mm-hmm. And uh, each episode, he goes around the entire country. And each episode focuses on a specific city, highlighting four comics in that city. And uh, I was uh, I did well on the audition to, to, to get on the show. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then I did well um, on the show itself. And uh, that led me to the uh, another show as well. So... Mm-hmm. Um, from the, the next show it got me was uh, I, I recorded a half hour on a show called Kevin Hart Presents The Next Level mm-hmm. and that's a half an hour comedy uh, it's a half an hour comedy special but like uh, you, you essentially you know you, you record a half an hour eight minutes of it is commercial mm-hmm. um, but what's unique about this one is that it starts off with a two minute interview of Kevin Hart interviewing me mm-hmm. so uh, that's kind of what's different about th- uh, this show as opposed to a standard Comedy Central Presents is that it's um uh, it's produced by uh, a guy named Joey Wells. He's part of the, you know, Kevin Hart's camp, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it has Kevin Hart's, you know, stamp on it. But uh, of him interviewing me, um, mm-hmm. you know, learning about my life and everything like that. And so, but the entire journey was kind of very. Is a, is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of emotion because I, my first goal in comedy was literally I thought you made it if you were just on a flyer. Mm. I was like, oh, yeah, you're, people are promoting you. Mm-hmm. That's the person they're going to see. Like, that was, I thought that was done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I never, I always put the effort forth to get something like this, mm-hmm. but I never, uh, I never expected it. 
I never felt like it was something that I had to have. I never had like that an arrogant attitude about it. I was more like I'm gonna put all the effort that I can, but I enjoy the whole journey. So wherever I end up, that's what was supposed to happen, you know. And uh, so so yeah, the the entire the, the special it airs uh, next Friday, Friday August 24th. Um, I'm gonna have a viewing party. If anybody wants to come out and watch it live with me, I'll be in Ferndale at Zeke's Barbecue. A nine mile just west of uh, of Woodward and uh, I'll get there around nine but it airs at 11 um, anybody can watch it as well on the Comedy Central website mm-hmm. uh, you can uh, you can watch it there um, uh, if you need a cable login uh, I'll just message me on Facebook I'll give you mine we mm-hmm. need those views uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so <Gotcha>. there <laughs> there's always uh, you know uh, thinking back about it, it it's just an amazing experience for me to to, uh, to record, uh, especially also at the venue. I recorded it at the uh, the Orpheum Theater in L.A., a uh, beautiful theater. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm just very grateful that, that I was given the opportunity and I was happy that, uh, that it went well, and uh, I'm excited to see it. Now, things are already transitioning because of this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year's opportunity created this. Uh-huh. And uh, now you're getting more offers and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How... How are you keeping a level head as I'm sure, you know, the people around you now respond to you different, look at you mm-hmm. different. Uh, it's just natural in any culture, especially the competitive nature and comedy of, you know, when you're giving an opportunity in a world mm-hmm. of artistry where people feel that opportunities are scarce. Yeah. Whether it's true or whether it's not true. The perception is that. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how are you leveling your head as, you know, I'm sure you're getting even the compliments. Mm-hmm. Probably sometimes it's like, mm, it's like, yeah, you're getting out here now. It's like, <laughs> yeah. dude, am I accepting this as a compliment or, or is this yeah. some shade? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. I, I think it's I've, I've been lucky that some of my best friends in comedy are just really funny. You know what I mean? So it's it's easy to be humbled when like my best friends in comedy, Ron Taylor and Josh Adams. And to me, I'm like, oh, the, you know, just just because it's not negative about me, you know what I mean? But, but I think they're funnier than me. You know, mm-hmm. I don't care. I don't view this as competitive. I view, mm-hmm. you know, as as much as some people do. But um, it, as long as I'm surrounded by other people that are great at what they do, then I'll always have a level for myself to improve. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm lucky that I have a lot of friends that are doing great things in their careers as well. And so I I don't look at this like like I made it, like mm-hmm. I'm done, you know what I mean, or, or whatever. Like there's still other things that have to be done. And uh, so for me, it's not too hard for me to be level-headed about it. Okay. All right. And then family. What's, uh, what's family like now? As uh, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure the journey of being a comedian mm-hmm. always like has your mom, your dad, uh, brothers and sisters like, okay, so what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. My, my family's always been supportive about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, from the from from the beginning, they've always been pretty supportive about me doing it, um, even when I wasn't that good. And uh, mm-hmm. but but especially now, uh, they're just very happy for me. Like my mom and my brother came out to LA to watch the special great, great. Uh, be recorded, and uh, I've always had uh, a lot of support um, from my family. They're they're very excited for for everything that you know that that that's happening or that will happen in the future. Okay, so. What's next? What do you see happening next? What's going to be the big thing? 
Um, uh, eventually, at some point, uh, my plan is to, to move to L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have an exact date set yet for that, but um, I, I'd like to move to L.A. relatively soon and uh, kind of just pursue, you know, the, an, an, another level of, okay. uh, of comedy. And uh, luckily, the, the credits, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Kevin Hart credits will make it easier for me than yeah. as opposed to just going there with nothing. But um, regardless, at the end of the day, there's people that have went there with nothing, too. So mm-hmm. that, that's why I feel like I really don't have any excuse because mm-hmm. I, I know people that are doing great out there with nothing, but they went there with nothing but their, their, their talent. Yeah, you know, and yeah, Ron is Ron, Ron is a great example. Ron, yeah, exactly. Ron went there living in a van for a couple of years. Uh, he never consistently had like a real job, and LA is expensive. But he still found you know he found a writing gig. He'd meet the right people. He was funny. He always made sure that working on his craft was his number one priority, and that everything else had to follow under that. Mm. Because if that's where you're moving, if you're mo- if I'm moving to LA, I'm not moving to LA for the nice weather. I mean, partially, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not bad that they have nice weather. But yes. but uh, I, it's definitely you have to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're gonna wrap up with the classic Detroit is different questions. All right, uh, here we go. Uh, the first one: your very first car, year, make, and model, and what year did you get it? I had an 01 Hyundai Sonata. Okay. Um, a, a silver, uh, 01 Hyundai Sonata. It, I got it. Let's see. I went, I can think right before I went to college. So maybe 2006. Okay. 2007. Okay. How many, uh, where was the first place you drove when you got it? That's a good question. Well, for, well, for just, uh, a, a friend of my mom's, uh, a coworker of my mom, uh, Actually, he he was gonna he was gonna sell the car, and then all the money that he got from it, he was going to donate to a charity, hmm. to an animal charity. So he just told me, as long as I donated some money to an animal charity, he'd give me the car. So oh, I, I essentially got a free car. white privilege. Yeah. Oh, hey, <laughs> hilarious. Hey. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not complaining about that, and um, and so uh, I got a I got a great society for forever. Then. I gr- Oh yeah, I, I I took that as I drove the car. As far as I could until it, it could not work so the anymore. The wheels fell off. Yeah. How, how long did you uh, uh, did it take for the wheels to fall off? Took took some years. Maybe uh, okay. I don't know. I, it, it got over it got over the three hundred thousand mile mark wow. is when it starts to. And uh, it it definitely it it had some quirks. Okay. It, it definitely was time when okay. when I laid it to rest. But I think I just I just met up whatever parking lot that you know uh, the school parking lot. I think my my mom used to work at Dearborn Schools, so mm-hmm. it was just. Whatever road that was, mm-hmm. uh, was where I drove it first, though. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You you took it for a test drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The test drive. Even though you got first. a free car, basically, you yeah. still wanted to test drive. It. Yeah. Well, because he wanted to be professional about it. He he wanted to me. I was like, no, no, I'm taking the car, man. No, you you ain't talking me out of it. I don't I don't oh, okay. care what's wrong with your car. But from his perspective, he's like, well, I wanted you to ride it first, and I'm like, okay. I'll ride it first. Oh, yeah, Make yeah. sure this free car is good enough for yeah, me. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, so just he's one of those old school. Yeah. Like, he needs to be an education. It's like, yeah. we're still going to do this formal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, meet me at the uh, officer uh, of the deeds, and yeah. I'm going to change the registration over you. <laughs> it's like, dude, if you don't give me the damn keys, <laughs> I'm trying to drive, man. I got places uh-huh. to go. All right, so second, you are the DJ at Woodward and Jefferson. The mm-hmm. fireworks just ended. And you get to play three songs. What mm. three songs are you playing? 
See, because every time I've been at a DJ, I don't think I care about other people. Okay, so what? So I, are the location playing? might not even. <laughs> but it's the end of the Detroit fireworks. That's the thing. Huh. Because so, that may affect so your. That may music. impact. Oh, your that is mood. true. Yeah, it's you the know? it's the end of the fireworks. Um. Uh, something uplifting. Uh, three songs. Three. Songs. I'm trying to think of one song. Three. You want me to think of three songs? Um. Uh, I feel like I'd play. I might even. I, I might be able to break it down into to artists okay. before I break it down into what songs. But I'd probably play some some order of Outkast, Eminem, and Jay Z okay. would be okay. three of the ones that that I would have a high enough collection of songs that I like okay. to be like I could pick something random from them and they're not gonna mess any anything up in the situation. No, no, you gotta give me some songs then. Outkast, what song you playing? J- let me think. I probably play. Uh, I probably just play one that everybody's more familiar with. I probably for Outcast just play some. Hey, uh, something. Okay. You know what I mean? That it okay. just you know not not try to rock the boat and do something too specific that uh, nobody's mm-hmm. heard some random track off of some inside thing. Eminem. Um. No, I'm wondering if I want to play Eminem now. Um. I'm trying to think. I, I suck at remember the names of songs is my issue. Okay. I just listen to so much music and uh, just like a random just play it that I can't remember the names of songs. But uh, but because now I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know that you. I, I've always liked the song Renegade, which okay. would combine Jay Z and uh, and and Eminem. Okay. Um, there's a lot of stuff from Blueprint that I could pick that that, that I like for for Jay Z. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm just musically uh, less than. I don't know how to how to how Hilarious. to say that. I don't Hilarious. know. I don't know the wording on that. Hilarious. I just I, I I was late to to music, and then I I, I listened to so much of it at once that mm-hmm. now it's like I could play songs. You could play a song, and I can know all the words, and I have no idea what album it's from. I have no idea hmm. the, the 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 title of the song. But oh, but but I mess with that song. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. that's that's where I've I've been on the music spectrum. Okay. So I, I'm sorry to fail your the music uh, portion. The question, of this. <laughs> hilarious. And then the last question: If you could rename Woodward after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? If I could be renamed after one Detroiter? If Woodward could be renamed oh. after one Detroiter, who would it be and why? Huh. If Woodward could be renamed off of one Detroiter, I would. I'm trying to think of who has done the most. I'm debating between what would just be a funny person to name it off of, or who's done the most good for the city of Detroit mm-hmm. in the uh, in history. Um, uh, I, I'd probably just ju- ju- just to say that I did. I probably would just oh yeah, you know, I was gonna name it off of Josh, but he's mm-hmm. from Oak Park. I was yeah. just gonna give him a street, just to just to Josh, be nice. Just just I was give just, Josh a street, just to, out, to be yeah, nice. just just to be nice. That way, That'd that way, nice. I always have the upper hand on the friendship. Hilarious. You know what I mean? Where it's just like he could be like, I I could owe him twenty bucks and be like, bitch, I named a street after you. Hilarious. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's, there you know what go. I mean? Like that 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 would always uh, I'd always have that in my back pocket. Well, yeah, because I don't know what would be happening on Darius Bennett Avenue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a wild boy behavior. 
that Darius Bennett would be boy. Oh man, you guys really do pick on Darius a lot on here, don't oh, you? I love Darius, man. <laughs> I love Darius. Darius is a wild. Hey, 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 hey. But yeah, so that's it, man. Thank you so much. Thank, thanks for having me. Appreciate right, it.